0: Welcome to sharing our stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope when the world says give up. Hope Whispers. Try it one more time. What's going on? What's up, Recovery Family? And welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim with Nani Al-Jaleel and, of course, Tomas Hernandez from Tribe Recovery Homes. And if you are checking in for the first time, this program is about addiction and recovery and sharing the stories of recovery here in the Mile High. Our guest today, a little bit different, switching things up, is the executive director of COPA, her name is Bria Kinsella, and uh, we're so thankful to have you here. Yeah, thank thanks you, for thank having you. Me. Um, now, with this program today, I know you have like a really important agenda. We we got important things. <laughs> we got important things to talk about. <laughs> that's right. We got important things to, tech, to talk about. But uh, to start it off, um, people don't know what Copa is. Uh-huh. So, what is Copa?
1: Sure, um, that's a great question. Uh, So Copa is, and actually, I know people are watching. Is this them here? I feel strange just staring at you. Yeah, just engage. If you want to
2: jump on the camera and go like that. I promise there will be no jumping. They're not going to understand that on the radio right now. (laughs) This morning at Sunday at 7 a.m. that we're actually.
1: Um, Okay, so for the non-7 a.m. crowd. um, (laughs) So for the 7 a.m. crowd, I'm wearing combat boots and a dress. So there will be no jumping on anything. He's already jumping on you. You're doing great. Um, Okay, so COPA is the Colorado Providers Association. Uh, It is an association that was started back in the mid to late 90s um, for substance use disorder providers to have a voice uh, in the legislature, essentially. Um, It was created by a handful of providers um, who saw that there was stuff happening in what was then called – the mental health field mm-hmm. that affected people with substance use disorder. And while there were mental health professionals, they're having their voices heard. People with substance use disorders – Some with lived experience, some without lived experience of an actual substance use disorder were kind of just being told what to do uh, without much influence on how that happened. Uh, So these providers got together and started an association to support each other, to be connected. Um, And it is a statewide association that's been around for 30 years, which is excellent. Um, And our mission, or I guess our vision, is to create a network network. A connected network of providers across the state, not only for that voice at the legislative level, but now as we've grown and continued to uh, really focus on the providers themselves, offers an opportunity, one, for providers to know each other. Uh, So whether you're a provider down in Cortez, Colorado, eight hours from here, or a provider in Fort Collins, just an hour from here, um, or here in Denver, uh, you have people in your industry who understand what you're going through, uh, who have built maybe what you're just now starting to build, um, who are there to support you. Uh, And also, we work really closely with the state agencies that have their hands in substance use disorder provisions, um, whether it's prevention, harm reduction, treatment, intervention. um, Did I miss one? Recovery. Recovery. I'm mm-hmm. here on a recovery show. I should not forget recovery. Yeah, um, recovery. <laughs> so we have, we have providers across the continuum of care. Over 45 providers now are members of COPA. Um, we are actually, we have quite a bit of representation from recovery. Tanya Wheeler, who was here mm-hmm. uh, yep. not yep, too long Talia. ago, was one of the very first recovery members um, of COPA. Um, and I'm sure that she will come up again. Um, she is absolutely one of the reasons that we have such great representation on COPA. Um, of recovery folks. So we support not only the executive directors, that's how I know Tomas, um, but also all employees of the organizations who are members. So while Tomas... Um, has frequently shown up at our board meetings to have his voice heard. Um, <laughs> his member or his employees, like you, yeah. his employees are also invited to come to our trainings, come to our networking events, meet their peers in the industry from across the state so people aren't so isolated. Because um, we know there's a lot of secondary trauma in the work that we do. Um, I was a provider once upon a time. Um, and we know that it's each other that helps us get through the hard work of saving people's lives.
0: What got you into Working with COPA.
1: Oh, that is a long story. Uh, (laughs) We we have some time. (laughs) So um, I was in the Coast Guard a long, long time ago, um, back probably about the same time that COPA started. um, And I'm from a very rural place in California um, that had a real meth problem. And uh, as I watched, as my friends kind of dealt with their meth problems, uh, I knew that I had to get the heck out of there. Uh, and so I joined the Coast Guard, um, which at the time was under the um, the Department of Transportation, but was primarily responsible for law, um, drug enforcement, right? We were trying to stop the, the free flow of methamphetamines into the country um, and also immigrants. And uh, because I'm from a rural place, all of us understand what these rural values that have become so highlighted uh, in, in our public, uh, in our policy uh, the way to stop substance use was to get the dealers was to get the people who were bringing the drugs in, um, and spreading them throughout our country. Right. And so, um, I was absolutely convinced that being a law enforcement officer was the way that I saved my friends. Um, I was wrong.
2: Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. Cause I'm a huge method and I've never <laughs> seen a lab on the water.
1: Uh, there, there is there are there is actually quite a lot of drugs on the water. Uh. I know, I, get it, but, I get it, but I'm just saying. A med lab, this is
2: where my mind went it was like, okay, you got to get the anhydrous out there. You got to get all this stuff to cook there's, it, and there, you're on a boat, yeah. and you got to really sit still, and the thing's rocking, yeah, and you're work. trying. To, oh, man, it's going I just so see it, an explosion, <laughs> yeah,
1: ready to happen. So I have a funny story. <laughs> 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 all right. So once upon a time, um, I was, you know, assisting some friends of mine in a location that I will not disclose. Uh, and they were driving a Coast Guard boat around, and they caught drugs, and they caught a lot of cocaine. And okay. Uh, that yeah. makes sense. And, yes. and so, yeah. they, um, you know, I'm sure you all know. Uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know, cocaine comes in bales. It doesn't come in little baggies. You're probably yeah, not right. going to find yeah. the level of drugs that we found on the ships. Like, just wandering around on the streets. That's probably not a thing you see every day. Right. Not to say that it does not exist. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe that it exists. Anyway, one of these bales got a tear in it, in the, in the hustle and bustle to get those drugs off of the boat into our ship. And so what happens when a cocaine bale tears in a ship that has ventilation is that the cocaine gets into the ventilation? That's awesome. oh. Oh. This is amazing. No. I wish yeah. 10 and a half yeah. years plus, this kind of plus yeah. my last three laps I was on this <laughs> bike. Uh, yeah. It. Yeah. It, get- <laughs> it can get kind of hairy, and so all comms in the Coast Guard from ships yeah. to land. Are recorded, um, and so there is a recording somewhere from the 1990s of a group of young men. Because you know most people in the military are young, a group of young men who were absolutely high on cocaine, because there was a tear in the bail that got into the ventilation mm-hmm. of the ship. Somebody told so it. hilarity ensues mm-hmm. when yeah. people hear those recordings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, yeah, so so yes, so that's that was the start of my work in prevention essentially, right? My prevention, my prevention experience started with law enforcement and it was because I was afraid for the people that I saw affected by this problem, by the situation, right? Um, drugs that were killing people, um, mm-hmm. killing my friends and my family. Uh, and so from there, <laughs> I, was, I was in the military for about eight years um, and a couple of things happened that were really tragic um, and influential in my young life. Uh, and I got out in 2006. Um, so just to give you a little like reference about how young I was, I was 26 when I got out and I had been in for eight years. Um, and so I, I knew that enforcement was not where it was at, Mm -hmm. right? Right. In my experience, enforcing did not save my friends' lives, right? Mm. So, um, drugs. What's that? The war on drugs. The war on drugs. That was not. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and many of you know that there are so many drugs in the military. There mm-hmm. yeah. are so many yeah. people in the use who, in the military who have substance use disorders, who use drugs. Yeah. Um, it, you know, the, And thank you
2: for your service, because you know, and the, the abuse of women in mental health inside the military, for being a woman, is really, really high. That brings mental health and drug use too.
1: So you know, people ask me often, "Did I enjoy my time in the military?" Um, and while I am happy, uh, happy in that, like quote unquote, I'm glad I did that kind of way, um, I did not love the system, mm-hmm. right? And I yeah. actually learned quite a bit. And Tomas knows this about me. I'm not, author- I'm not great with authority as a whole, and so it was a weird choice for me to begin with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it it taught me so much about Mm -hmm. how the system worked Mm -hmm. and how the people in the system felt like the Mm -hmm. ones my friends who stayed in the military and continued to participate in this war on drugs, Mm -hmm. how they thought about it. Right. And so I have been living this life for like 25 years, understanding why and how law enforcement does what it does and, and how we how we can have such different views about what it means to save someone's lives. Right. So, um, while I do not love the system of enforcement, um, I understand why good people end up there. Right. I understand that for the same reason I joined the military to save my friends' lives, Mm -hmm. other people might also do that. Right. Because I'm not great at authority. Yeah, and it's
2: systemic I'm behavior all that. in military, police, all that stuff. There's a code to all of it, The drug force. So I have a cousin, Jimmy, that lives in lives in Arizona now. He was a Border Patrol cop, just ruined his whole mental health. Um, amazing, amazing individual. But um, the things that he's seen on the border um, just broke him down so far that he's just, he's not the same man. He's not going to come back to that. You know, my uncle, my uncle uh, Frank. Takes care of him, um, you know. I'm sorry to the family members that I'm breaking the anonymity of that. You know what I mean? But it is the truth. This is mental health. This is my family. I'm proud of my family. Good, bad, or indifferent, and that's just those things. You know, and that's what brings to that. That's why I'm impressed with a lot of women that get through the military that don't get hurt. You know what I mean? That don't get mentally hurt, physically abused, and sexually abused. You know, there's a lot of different things that happen in the military that you have to be mindful of, of. Like, you know, if my daughter was to ask me today, say, hey, Dad, I want to go in the military, I'd be like, why? Are you sure? Like, are you prepared for what could possibly happen? And we'd have to...
1: I mean, no you know, one's prepared for that.
2: Yeah, you know, but we'd li- definitely have to have some conversations with lived-experienced people so she mm-hmm. could get the full scope of that before she just committed. You know, I wouldn't want to tell her not to serve this country, but she'd have to be mindful. Um, but we're also talking about Amari, which will fight, like, the devil in Jesus's backyard, in a, you know what I mean? <laughs> this little girl will fight anybody, but
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> so that know,
2: person would probably have a problem. He'd probably get abused.
1: You <laughs> know, you know my daughter wants to go to West point and I'm kind of um, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, of course I totally support you. And also, are you sure? Like you should yeah. probably talk to people who aren't me because you know, she's 15. And so, yeah. Nothing I say is right. Yeah. But she could talk to other women that I know who have been in the military, and that would be helpful.
2: Yeah, you know, we, have a, <laughs> we still haven't put her on here. Uh, she see, Leanne Wheeler, mm-hmm. huge, huge military. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That woman has done everything in the military and walked through that whole walk. Whole because, you know, thank you for the people. Thank you for your service, everybody that's been through that. You know, it's just those, those things. You know, everything, because we were talking earlier, the reason why I'm bringing it up. Is there any type of thing that you can rate, relate to recovery? There's a lot of stuff that in the conversations of me and sure. you have been close friends for a long time. As you don't think that you're relatable in recovery, and you're fully around recovery your whole life. My whole like, life. Like there's people like spinning a meth bowl in the building next to where you were born.
1: Well, you and know what I mean? and my grandma, my grandma was friends yeah. with Bill W. So yeah. yeah, I used to go to. Meetings in church basements in yeah. Sutter Creek, California, with my grandma and all yeah, of that's her smoking buddies. Where it all started. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's pretty. You know, so, I'm I, fully, so I'm fully, I'm yeah, fully in so it. So I just got
2: done with the AA, the, the AA Big Book, and it was funny. It was because like you, you look at all that stuff the way they used to talk. So like I'm labeled as the outlaw safecracker. <laughs> that's just the way. <laughs> oh, that's that's what my part. There is, are in so that many things that I could oh. think about that. I'll take it because the Vagabond in there, I don't want to be the Vagabond.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. No. And so that, that really was, listen, my whole life I've been around people in recovery, but I don't think I understood what it meant until I started experiencing the world for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. I am a normie. I am not in recovery, but I have been surrounded by people in recovery my entire life. So after the military, um, I wanted to get as far away from that as humanly possible. So I joined AmeriCorps, which if you've ever been in AmeriCorps is basically like the military for social services. So I went from one military industrial complex to another. Um, and I'm super grateful that I did, um, Mm. because that's really where I got my feet under me in terms of prevention. So I am a prevention specialist. Mm -hmm. Uh, My background is in prevention. Um, my, um, Education experiences in social work and psychology and okay. business, right? And so I took all of these things and put them into prevention. And I started um, my my service um, in social services, working with um, St. Louis Public Schools, um, Ferguson Public Schools. So um, if you've heard of Mike Brown, um, those are the you know the schools and adjacent that I was working with. Um, and I was I was tutoring English. Okay right, and if you've ever been a tutor mm-hmm. um, in an underfunded school, you know that basically you do whatever job is available and so when the science teacher died
2: you're a science teacher
1: I became the the science teacher mm-hmm. right and uh, simultaneously when I started doing that, I was um, also working at um Missouri Division of Youth Services. So I was working in jails and I was working in uh, detention centers and I was teaching kids debate skills. If you've ever taught a kid in a detention center debate skills, um, I'm telling you that is an untapped resource. Uh, We should definitely be getting those kids into the uh, Capitol building uh, because they got (laughs) stuff to say. They know what they're talking about. They have lived experience unlike anything I have ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is really we didn't call it prevention then. They probably don't even call it prevention now. Um, it's probably prevention specialists like myself who like yeah. We got really to have a prevention. definition. Uh yeah.
2: Decompression and shower before we go into session next year. Uh, last, last year they had some words that were saying, "I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like bipoc, what you mean? Tupac, what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> you're no longer a minority. You're in the bipoc community. I'm like, who made this up, man? Well, you know, they, they don't. Like, <laughs> I'm not a Latin X. There's no X at the end. I'm not Malcolm. I'm a Latin. I'm a Chicano. All right, you're not changing it on me. I'm i I'm a Chicano. I'm I'm gonna die a Chicano. I don't speak Spanish. I don't know. You know, that's how it, I was in that movement. That's where I'm at. But th- 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 Look, I'm you know. a
1: words. I'm a words girl, but yeah. sometimes it's hard to keep up.
2: Yeah, it's it is. Like they'll just have some stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not that. No, uh-uh. no. <laughs> no. no absolutely not.
1: Yeah, I I love <laughs> me some words, but sometimes I'm like, wait, which one is this today? I forget. Yeah. Um, but so you know, we didn't. Most people don't call it prevention. Most people don't call tutoring prevention they don't Mm -hmm. call detention prevention you know they don't call this stuff prevention but in my experience and now in my education I have learned that I started my career in social services as a prevention specialist Mm -hmm. because I have always since that very beginning like how do I save my friends all I ever really wanted to do was to have strong enough relationships that I could help a person Mm -hmm. before it got too bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Was I, was I the person that they could talk to? Was I a person that had resources available? Was I a person who understood enough about their life that I could really support them in the way that they needed? And like, The way that Tomas needs support might be different than the way my daughter needs support might be different than the way my board's president needs support, right? Like everyone is different. And and do I have enough information within reach to help a person if it becomes necessary? And so for eight years I was in Missouri doing prevention, getting my master's degree, um, learning everything that there was about, prevention for young people, right? I worked for the Young Women's Christian Association um, and was able to work in those St. Louis public schools with those kids, know their families, know their school experiences. Like I spent all of my time in their schools where some people who are working with kids spend time in other offices and then come sometimes to the school we did everything together. So these recovery community organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Like tribe, um, like, uh, advocates for recovery, like so many recovery community organizations mm-hmm. across the state of didn't exist. Mm-hmm. They didn't exist yet. Right. And, um, what we did was provide the services that recovery community organizations did, right. Such as, uh, activities, right. Peer building, um, school support because it was young people it was like whatever so they needed everything. we did all it's of that kind of like the
2: substitute teacher concept that you're talking about you're- exactly
1: we did everything I took those kids roller skating mm. like we did we did everything I played roller derby so I have here's the thing I had a group of 15 black boys roller skating with the St. Louis Derby arch rival roller girls <laughs> In this like rando white (laughs) suburb of St. Louis and all of these roller derby girls who were like social workers, lawyers, teachers and all this stuff with all my boys who had never been on roller skates before. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. It was awesome. And it's awesome. And that really like it got me stuck. Mm -hmm. Right. Where in the military, all I did was like watch bad things happen Mm -hmm. and things not go the way that I thought maybe they could Mm -hmm. um, to like watching these young people, like, getting to experience things they had never experienced before, mm-hmm. um, having a person who wasn't yelling at them all of the time. You know, I don't know if you have teenagers, but I know you do. Um, having teenagers is hard. Um, and <laughs> and so I know that I was a break for some of those mothers where they were like, oh, my God, get these boys out of my hair, mm-hmm. right? And so it was fun, and it got me stuck, mm-hmm. right? Um, and as I got older, I started to realize that those boys were in the situations that they were in often not because of their own choices, but because of the hand that life had dealt them. Right. Right? And that's that thing about prevention is understanding the way the system is set up for people who may not have the resources to get out of that system. Right. And so that was the start of systemic thinking for me. Got it. Right. Where it was like, I didn't have that experience. You know, I'm from a rural community. Yes. But I also lived in Mexico. I also like rode horses that lived on my property, you know, like I didn't, I had never, um, I was stationed in Detroit in the coast guard and that was the first time I'd ever been in a city really. Right. And so this whole life was absolutely foreign to me. And it began that way of thinking of like, just because things are done differently than the way that I thought they should be done doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. And this actually, you know, outside of being around people who are in recovery Mm -hmm. was really kind of this foundation of we think about substance use disorder, we think about recovery, we think about all of these things. Maybe, just maybe, substance use is not a moral failing. Maybe there's a whole system Mm -hmm. that leads people into situations. That sometimes they can't get out of until it's too late. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, that whole time that I was in St. Louis, I was learning that kind of stuff. Also, in St. Louis, I got married to a person in recovery um, who was also a formerly incarcerated person. Um, And so, I was really, really entrenched in his um, fellowship program Mm and their community. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day as I was driving to a friend of ours' dad's funeral. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about community, and Mm -hmm. and where I learned this idea of just show up. Yeah, like you don't have to show up perfect, you don't have to show up beautiful. You just have to show up. And I learned that from the fellowship in St. Louis. Yes, and I and I texted two of my friends who were a part of that group, and was like, "Everything I do here is because of what you taught me, right?" And so even as a normie, I still. I'm learning from the stuff that you all do in recovery, right? Mm -hmm. It is longstanding, right? Like the way you all do, I, there's a part of me (laughs) that wishes everyone had to work the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. Like just work, just do it one time. Let's see how that works for you. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's see how you feel about it afterwards. You know? Um, so there is, there is that part. And then we moved to Colorado. Some tragic things happen in St. Louis. St. Louis is a really hard place to be in, um, and, uh, especially working with, um, young people who are justice involved. Um, and I watched some pretty terrible things happen. Um, and, you know, and Tomas knows this story about me too, is that I worked with some really, really amazing black women in St. Louis who truly taught me everything they knew or could teach me, um, about working in that community in a respectful way. Um, because I came there as like, I might as well have been that Freedom Riders lady, like, Um, Taking all the credit for being the white savior, right? Like I was total, I was 25. You know what I mean? I didn't know any better. I was like, I'm gonna come save these little black boys. Like Mm. truly. Um, And these black women showed me the way. (laughs) Some of them did it very kindly. Some of them did not do it very kindly. um, And I'm so grateful, right? Because they taught me a new way because in rural California, you don't learn that stuff. In the military, you most definitely do not learn that stuff, right? Mm. And so... um, there was, a, there was a moment um, when I walked into um, a meeting in my early 20s um, with a group of really well-educated, longtime experienced black women who were from the community we were in that meeting about. And we were talking about a topic and someone who was in charge of the meeting stopped the meeting, looked at me and asked me what my opinion was. And here are all of these like, Amazing experts, and I was still at the center of that conversation, and it made me so uncomfortable. Um, and because of all of the things that I had been taught, I could see it really clearly, um, mm-hmm. and I started to realize that as much as I loved those boys, and I love that work, and I love the community, I love my friends, there might be other places where like my expertise was better suited. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up moving to rural Colorado. Because that's my, you know, that's my experience, right? Like, that's who I am. I'm rural. I'm a rural girl. Um, And so we ended up in rural Colorado. um, And I lost my husband in 2012 to a substance use disorder and suicide. Um, And there was nothing. There was no recovery community. Advocates for recovery wasn't down there yet. Young people in recovery wasn't down there yet. There was one NA meeting at um, a coffee shop that was like at 6 o'clock in the morning. Right. Uh, So my husband, when we moved to Southwest Colorado, um, relapsed, (laughs) relapsed really bad. Um, And we tried to get him help and we tried to get him um, everything that he needed. And we had just found a treatment facility that would accept him um, without me having to find money for it. Um, And it was in Fort Collins. So nine hours away. Right. And in 2012, like Fort Collins was still kind of a, ta- a cow town. Right. Like um, and it was through a church. And we had everything set up to bring him up here to the front range where neither of us had ever been. <laughs> and I, I told him because I come from a recovery background and I know all about accountability. Um, I was like, listen, we have a full storage unit full of stuff. Sell everything in there and I will meet you there. But you have to take the first step. You have to sell this stuff so that you can get there. Easy peasy, right? It's one thing you put it on Facebook Marketplace and it's gone, right? Um, and he couldn't, and he just couldn't make it. And uh, he had, he had called um, the crisis line in our town, and uh, because they are understaffed and overworked then and now uh, there was no one to help him they didn't send the police they didn't nothing Um, I looked for him for days um, and it wasn't until we realized um, that one of his guns was missing that the police actually got involved right so to me (laughs) and the world that I come from that was not the end right that was yet another fire under my ass to make the changes that we needed here in Colorado. So I packed up my three-year-old and we moved to Texas and I started working in an association, um, in Texas, uh, a, a different industry, but there were some skills I wanted to learn that I was not getting in, in Southwest Colorado. Um, and so I worked there for a couple of years learning how to run an association, uh, learning how to research and write trainings for forensic interviewers, um, forensic interviewers are people who collect data, um, for prevention, uh, Mm. prevention of child sexual abuse. And so that was the industry that I worked in for two years, learning how to run a corporate nonprofit, um, a corporate association, nonprofit association. Um, and so from there, I went back to Southwest Colorado and, uh, started running the only prevention organization in that five County region. And we focused on substance use and suicide. Um, and so for almost 10 years, uh, I worked there in my community hand in hand um, with people with uh, mental health struggles, with substance use struggles. Um, I worked with uh, folks with lived experience who wanted to start organizations to fill the gaps that we were missing. For example, in the weeds is a really great one, uh, which works uh, with people who are in the hospitality industry hmm. started after COVID um, and those those nonprofits of people with lived experience, this guy had 12 years experience in the kitchen, understood how hard it was um, to manage substance use, um, what that culture looked like, and decided that he wanted to do something about it. I swear to God, that organization saved lives when COVID hit. A a quarter of our population lost their jobs Mm -hmm. that day. Yeah, Yeah. You know, he saved lives. And so for 10 years, I did that stuff and then Something tragic happened, as it does, uh, and my daughter decided she wanted to be a surgeon and asked if we could move to a city so she could go to a school that had more than 100 people in it, mm. and here we are. And I just so happened to find COPA, which was this, like, perfect alignment of all my strange skills, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and their whole goal was to expand services to rural Colorado and also increase diversity. Mm-hmm. chomas um, <laughs> yeah. Sound like it was a dream job, dude. It was. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Literally, when I came up here, I was like, listen, so there are a couple of things that are true about me. I have some trouble with authority. We all know that. Um, and also, I run on an anti racism um, framework. Um, I hire marginalized communities. Um, and I tend to hire people who are coming from rural backgrounds now. Full transparency. All of my staff came from southwest Colorado and used to work for me. Except for Jacob, who used to work for Step Denver who I totally stole from Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Step Denver's great. Yeah. So yeah, so and you they were like great the founder with right now with the turtle Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So so he <laughs> so Jacob is the only one who did not come from Southwest Colorado, but he is from Pueblo. Ah.
2: <laughs> so, good you enough. know, that had yeah, like it wasn't enough. Most, enough. It had the most, at one time, it had the most bars per capita in the United States of America. I
1: Almost, mean, Durango most. Durango is close behind it. Yeah. Truly, truly. Was, so mm-hmm. so that's how I ended up here. And that's why I love to do what I do. And that's how I fit in so good with the recovery folks, because mm-hmm. I've been around them my whole life.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you have, yeah. The well, you know, just to and, speak to that is also at the same time, everybody always talks about lived experience, lived experience, lived experience. What we needed was a leader of COPA that didn't have actual substance abuse lived experience, so she could be non-biased about situations. Because we can, we as people with lived experience, we can get in our own holes. Like through my own recovery, I mean, at the beginning, I thought uh, TC programs were the only thing that worked because it worked Mm. on me. Nobody else. TC therapeutic community. Oh, oh, got it. Therapeutic community. I had the iron mallet of that. That's the only thing that 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 worked. I didn't like. Anything but N.A., you know what I mean? I've done every fellowship since then. I didn't know what harm reduction was. At first, I was totally unagreeable with it. Mm -hmm. And then it came around where it made sense, you know what I mean? And I have my Mm -hmm. own opinions about that. But what happens with the lived experience population is we get really stoic and opinionated on the things that we're doing. Not you. Um, (laughs) i try to you know i try to stay off of my lived experience and you know i'm just i'm just i i I rebel against a lot of system systems anyway you know um yeah she's had to she's had to have a long conversation with me because i mean i just i i truly believe that there's in colorado what we're going to explain tonight there's a lot of problems past personalities that we need to get past. And what I was saying was, is I love that you are our uh, executive director of COPA. I'm a active member of COPA. And, you know, um, I have actually our new executive director sitting in the board seat. But still, I am a family member and active member of COPA through my organization. And we have a lot of great people. And the diversity is coming. The, yeah, the message it, is getting. Really? Yeah. yeah. But what we do at that capital is we make sure that we have a fighting chance for people with mental health and recovery. Now, if we had a person that was just one-sided that had this one separate vision that couldn't see the scope of things and hear all different sides, we'd be still in the same place that we've been for a long time. And there's a lot of things that have happened in Colorado to where we stay there. You know, There's a lot of things just with me. I know what I do. I'm going to stay there. I know I'm a pre and post incarceration recovery mental health guy. I am not a person to own River Oaks Waterfall Recovery with with commercial insurance, I'm not that guy. But
1: I sure like riding horses. Yeah. Are you sure? I'm sure you do.
2: I've lived in Colorado most of my life. I've skied once. Got down the hill, busted my butt open. Went and got drunk. It was over. You know what I mean? That sounds like a bad day. <laughs> went back yeah. to the, went back went back to the city. Licked my wounds. I'm done. Actually, I didn't even I didn't even ski. I snowboarded. But when you see a five year old just like cruising by you and just kind of laughing, I was done. So anyway, you know what I mean? When you feel like 50 times. But you know, long story short is, you know, with that type of thing is what I'm just saying, I appreciate what you do. You know what I mean? And, and having that non-bioscope because like what we have here in, in, in our community is a lot of high opinions such as mine. And sometimes you have a job that you have to decipher through that and make sure everybody comes to that common denominator so we can get some things done, you know, Coming into where Copa was at the beginning, you had a lot of work. It's kinda like you became the head coach of the Raiders. There's a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? But know y'all know I'm the H B I C and you treat me accordingly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just did you on your team. I did. You <laughs> know All what right. I mean? And she's a she's the new AP out there. We gotta make sure that she gets through there. You know what I mean? Another California person, but it's it's you know, those are those things that, you know, it's there's not a lot of perfection out there, but um, the recovery communities that, that are out there, the reentry communities, like, you know, you gotta look at those things that you're talking about, like Hassan. Like, I didn't even know what real reentry looked like until I seen mm-hmm. Hassan Latif move. Mm-hmm. The way he moved around, I was like, man, I wanna move like that guy. Mm-hmm. That guy knows how to move right. You know what I mean? All the rest of them that were in the organization, Second Chance Center. You know, I grew up with Servicios de la Raza, just short, short story. I'm emancipated. I'm doing my laundry, sitting in this, uh, this laundry mat, because I got my mom and dad, man. I used to be able to just do the laundry, maybe stay at night, whatever, but I got a mad mat. So I'm like 17 years old. I was at a cousin's house. I think I was at my cousin Sean's house when he was alive with my cousin, the doing my laundry. I'm sitting in this place so right by North High School. And this guy walks in and I'm sitting there and he looks at me and he was like, what's up, young man? And I said, hey, can I sit there? And he had some stuff that he was getting. And he started breaking down a lot of stuff. Like he broke up the conversation, started breaking down. And I went and I looked at him and I kind of got up. And out of 38 in, in my sweats and it fell out the, the, the thing and hit the ground, he threw uh, my towel on it real quick and picked it up and put it on my lap. And he goes, you know you're killing your own people and you're killing yourself with this. And he broke into this big dissertation of these things. And he gave me his card on his way out. It was quirky. From Servicios de la Rosa when he was alive, mm. you know what I mean. He wanted me to know that, hey, come see me. Bring that, turn that in. I know you need that right mm-hmm. now. You know what I mean. But this is there's another way. You know these types of organizations. You remember that. You know what I mean? you remember these things that that happen. You know, through your life that, you know, like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I have no idea that he was the leader of the Brown Berets. He's put one of the organizations that have been here for years in Denver. You know, he fought the cops, the feds, like crazy stuff. He was a boxer, all this kind of stuff. And he very gently picked up my handgun, put it back on my lap. Gave me some good knowledge. Dropped the mic and gave me his card and said, "If you need me, come see me directly at my office." He didn't give me no lecture. No lecture. Mm-hmm. He didn't give me no talk to my secretary. He said, "Call me and come to me straight." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And those are those things that we have, and these are the organizations that Copa has on that board. There's also a lot of different professionals out there on Copa that you know I'd like to give a shout out. Like you know, we have there some so people many. that oh my There's god, so many. you know, signal. You know, I always, I always joke with you. Danny I'm going
1: to talk about Signal a yeah, little bit later. Yeah. But yeah.
2: Dan, the CEO, I used to call him Bruce Wayne. Because, like, <laughs> he would come in with, like, four people and you'd have no idea. And you just thought he was kind of like, you know, like how Bruce Wayne walks in through the movie, doesn't say nothing. Sits there. They talk, he says, like, five words and he splits. And then everybody's like, man, let's get that. That's the dude with all the recovery money, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't want to talk to <laughs> nobody. Gets down the elevator and he's gone, right? And then I finally get in an argument with them on a board meeting. And finally. Then,
1: and I love then, that you have a finally in yeah, there. Like it's just I mean, a matter I mean, of time. Finally, but if I Bruce everybody Wayne. everybody
2: gets in an argument <laughs> with me. Just ask my wife. Everybody gets an argument Just ask my friends. Whatever. You know what I mean? So with that being said, like and then I I find that actually the human being on the other side of the things that, you know, his responsibility to the things and he's the same as you. He's a professional and he has his own version. Everybody has their version of lived experience. It may not be drug use, mental mental health or whatever, but just the, the necessity and the need of what he does, you know, and that's the thing. Then you have great organizations that have been here for a while, like Tanya. I used to borrow cigarettes from Tanya and do, that's how I cut my teeth. Mm-hmm. I would work 60 hours at some terrible job for 10 hours, $10 an hour, And I'd sit there with Tanya and smoke a gang of cigars. That woman probably had more cartons in her car. Then she could shake a stick out all of us were bumming cigarettes we like we got to buy Tanya like a convenience store one day just, <laughs> yes. just to, so she can retire but she quit
1: she might not want to sell those anymore yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that she quit the cigarettes
2: but you know what I mean she took me to my first recovery event down in Denton Texas you know and a lot of history behind that I know there's a lot of rumors I'm going to put it on there first time that I ever heard of NAR because I'm truly one of the real founders of CAR so I found NAR with Tanya I met Jason Howe, and that's how I learned about some policy up here. And we brought it up here, and we and we started creating. Me and me and uh, Ronnie Fuller and Bryce Hancock and Steve Latour. And then later on, Rourke came in, did some great things. I you know what love I mean? Rourke, Rourke I is great. Text. He's the one. Rourke, that, if you're listening, I yeah. have a
1: text that I need to respond to. I'm really sorry.
2: Yeah, R- Rourke <laughs> took it up to the Capitol. You know what I mean? But those are the things. It all stemmed like from Tanya. That's on there. Like all of us have been been working really hard from all those different things that are out there. Um, but yeah, um, Copa. Also, we need to figure out how we can get some donations over there. Copa needs some support. So if you love this show, you hear what you're about to hear, we need to get some donations and get some support to Copa.
1: Love me some Tomas.
2: Yeah, so (laughs) let me tell you why. You have grants that take care of these people. They're tirelessly working with with organizations every day to make sense of it. So imagine 10 of them are just as hard-headed as me. And then Uh, the other 35, 35 are headed (laughs) in their own way. You know what I mean? And we all have our own freedom of choice. We all have our ideals of what we should be saying. And we got to mesh those all together and come up to the Capitol. So your sons, daughters, mothers, wives, children, whatever, loved ones, even your enemy that you don't want to see dead on the floor has a fighting chance of mental health and recovery. We are all locking arms to get that, to make sure that we're doing that policy up there. They don't have a lot of money to grow. We have to get grants together. We have to, as organizations, we pay. We pay to be on that board. That's how much we care. We pay to be on that board Mm -hmm. to make sure that we can keep that voice and make sure that she stays in her seat. So, when we get towards the end of the show, Slim, if you could help me with that, if you could help us with that, if there's a link, if there's something Sydney's on the... Sydney's your girl.
1: I don't yeah. know about tech stuff. You know I'm yeah. terrible at that. Yeah. So we're going to have to put Sydney's... <laughs> Sydney's...
2: I don't know. You better text me real quick, Sydney, and tell me what you want me to put up on here. But, Sydney, or, I know you're listening, girl. Yeah. We can figure out how to get that out there so our listeners here, hey... I need to get these people some money. This resonates with me. I need to get policy. I lost a, a family member. I'm about to lose a family member. I, we need more services to the fentanyl families.
1: Ugh. The
2: fentanyl fa- families.
1: Mm-hmm. We're
2: up there fighting against fentanyl every year. I know it doesn't make sense. We need more funding to go out there and fight the fentanyl problem. To the people that are in recovery that are incarcerated, we have incarceration interests that we're working Ooh,
1: on. I can't wait to tell you about the peer incarceration DOC project we're working on. It's so good.
2: Awesome. Yeah? Nice. So good. All right, all right. So I'm going to let her take back over, but I just wanted to, to say, please pay attention. This is a message to everybody because this is about to be something real about actually what's going to be happening in the Capitol. We have things that are happening this year that could change careers, lives, Mm -hmm. and now that we have a new mayor of Denver that is going to be very active in the situation Mm -hmm. and different pieces an election year, not only on different parts of the state, but the president of the United States, Mm -hmm. a lot of different things happening, you really need to focus and focus on local because that national can get skewed and you can watch the ship go by and things can happen here that you don't like. Mm -hmm. You do not like, and you will not like about your own
1: community. And we can fix it. Huh? And we can fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. In the last two years, I've seen people with lived experience and thank Mm -hmm. you Tomas for all of that. You're wonderful. I'm so glad that you joined us. I'm so glad that I met you my very first month in Denver. I'm so glad that I met you. Um, (laughs) You know, some Mm -hmm. things that are like really, that I really appreciated you saying about Daniel specifically, um, and not Daniel as a person, but as a whole, we have a lot of professionals, um, substance use disorder professionals in the treatment world, um, in the prevention world who, you know, can rock a suit, who, uh, can definitely, uh, look like middle-class white values. Um, anecdotally, 98% of our members have lived experience. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is just a good reminder (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. that,
1: you know, you, we really, especially in this industry, especially in this industry, we cannot judge a book by its cover. Right. Like, I know people look at Tomas and are like, oh, my God, scary. And I'm like, this guy, Psh, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so the only thing with scary is like, I guy? got tell a story about the shopping cart.
2: So I'm really mad. We're talking about policies and procedures. And I'm in the grocery store, and I'm like, I got her on the phone. She's like, man, I'm, I'm finally having some wine. What do you want? I'll be talking
1: about my own substance use on the radio. That's not substance use disorder. She She doesn't even have it.
2: She has wine, like, and she can. She hasn't like done the things that we've done. So, (laughs) (laughs) have your wine. But this is the part that you'd think that I was drinking wine. So I'm in the the shopping shopping center. I have a shopping cart. I'm fully passionate about what I'm talking about. I get about three aisles down, and I didn't realize. I walked up to a lady right next to me's cart that had all her stuff in it, and I'm yelling in the phone. Brie is telling me to calm down. Oh, my God. And she's basically walking behind me kind of like... Can I have my cart back? (laughs) Can I have my (laughs)
1: cart back? I realized
2: that I I had to pay for her groceries. I felt bad. You know what I mean? But (laughs) the whole situation that I told her, and she starts busting up, laughing. That's that's kind of you know that's just the level of patience that that, to to take to this to this position that that she holds. And, And you know, there's a lot that's happened. You know, there's a lot of tragedy that's happened. You know a lot of people have lost their jobs a lot of people that you know policies that have really messed us up and she has to go through that but i'll give it back to you but yeah I, that's why i keep on chuckling because it's always the shopping cart thing but there's plenty more i'm just gonna leave those to look our-
1: next time i see a big dude with head tattoos i'm gonna like switch our carts <laughs> and, and like, just walk behind him to get He's, some free groceries. Like, I'm here yeah, for that, yeah, yeah. and I'll even act scared.
2: Like, <laughs> and I was so impressed. She like actually followed me, like cautiously, like like she had COVID, you know, spacing the whole time. It's like, uh, I didn't have a purse in there, thank God, or else I would have went to jail. But oh, she was Jesus. like, "Can I have my cart back?" I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I was like, and I looked at it, and I saw how much was pretty much in there. I was like, boom, boom, boom. You take this. Groceries are on me. I apologize. She goes, you're pretty passionate about that call, weren't you? I go, yeah. It happens, was, it happens every it cost time. It costs me
1: $60. But, uh. Every time I think, oh, I need to talk to Tomas. I have five minutes. Oh, I'll wait till later. I have an hour later. (laughs) Um,
0: So what is going on with the legislature this year that we need to be aware of? Oh, my gosh. So
1: many things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, to be honest with you, um, recovery-wise, there's not a ton. Um, There is a recovery bill that is out that came from the interim committee. And so for those people who don't know anything about the legislature, don't feel bad. um, I started doing this work two years ago, and I'm still trying to build the plane while I fly it. Um, But um, the interim committee, um, it's an opioid study bill, a a study committee um, that was established in 2020 to really figure out what to do about the opioid crisis, right? Fentanyl um, specifically. And they had five big bills that came out this year, and those are called omnibus bills. And omnibus bills um, tend to run more than 20 pages and have a lot of different topics in them, right? So we have a treatment bill, um, a harm reduction bill, a recovery bill, and a prevention bill, right? So recovery specific, um, you know, it's not the best recovery bill I've ever seen in my life, but it's not terrible either. Um, One of the coolest parts of the recovery bill that hopefully we'll see um, make it um, through the House and the Senate is there is a, a part of a section of the recovery bill that changes the way that uh, grocery stores can display wine. Mm -hmm. So Raquel Garcia over at hard beauty out in castle rock um, works with a lot of moms. Um, And what she's finding in her small communities is that wine is at the front of the store and highly promoted right mm-hmm. and so these moms are really struggling to just go get groceries and they're just asking really to take the wine from the front and putting it in back right, right. it's not that big of a deal does not seem like that the big of a flower
2: glass crack pipe on the front by the register exactly. any longer hey,
1: do it. hey how about no fireball down. shots at the <laughs> gas station right so yeah. because i come from a prevention background yeah. right when i see raquel like screaming for this in recovery of
2: fireball things everywhere. So gross.
1: So like, listen, it's so gross. Um, but so when Raquel started yelling about this in this most best, you know, and effective way, um, I was like, that is a prevention effort. I've, fully support that. That Mm -hmm. is absolutely a strategy that works in prevention is to take the substances out of the front of the public, right? Prevents young kids from thinking it's okay to just like go buy your bottle of wine because you had a long day, right? Like it takes it out of that normal substance use disorder as normal, right? Like mom culture, has now become wine culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And for people with substance use disorder, that sucks. Mm-hmm. That yeah. sucks. And, and you're right, because
2: dope sells is soap And, exactly. you know, it's all, it's all the same thing. Exactly. You, wine, you know, you're going to find it.
1: You're going to find it. Right? And 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 here's the thing, like, uh, some people are like, well, I don't have a substance <coughs> use disorder, so why do I have to deal with that? Why do you... Why can't you walk to the back of the grocery store? You're going to walk back to the back mm-hmm. for your milk. Yeah, what difference like, does it But is make? it really harming you to mm-hmm. like, help save someone's lives? Like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with taking the 10 extra steps to get my bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so that is a really excellent section in the recovery mm-hmm. bill that I really like. Mm-hmm. Will it pass? We don't know. It turns out the alcohol lobby is really big, really aggressive, oh, yeah. and yeah. really well-funded. Yeah. Yeah. What it takes is a bunch of folks like y'all, Coming to the Capitol and saying it really like this would really help us. Mm-hmm. This would really Absolutely. help us. Absolutely,
2: and it gets back to the donation. Everybody, we have to pay for our own lobbyists at COPA. Well, I'm long find- hours, long hours, <laughs> and things that we need to do that cost money. You know, we're more work that we need to get done. Mm-hmm. So once again. Sydney, you need to text me what I should put on here.
1: <laughs> text Tomas the QR code because I don't know how to do it. Uh, <laughs>
0: we will make sure that when this program is posted up that you will be able to find uh, a code to donate to COPA. We've got Absolutely. one.
1: Listen, Sydney, she's a tech mag- magician. She knows how to do all of that stuff. We're really mm-hmm. lucky to have her. So legislatively, um, in terms of recovery-specific legislation, we're not mm. looking at a ton there are some things that are kind of industry wide, or things that are um, happening for people with substance use disorders as a whole that are kind of awesome. Um, there's anything a, worrying you? Uh, <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Pull yeah. it out. Yeah. So there's nothing that has been introduced yet. Um, there that is worrisome. Um, there are some things that we think are probably coming or have heard through the grapevine um, that might be coming. We do think that there's probably another drug-induced homicide bill that's coming from Representative Lynch. Um, the one who just got um, outed for having homicide that nurse? DUI. Homicide tw- no. We can't, we can't say that. I can't. Um, I can't say that. Um, so I the, told it to
2: him in his face at the <laughs> Capitol.
1: I can't. I can't do that. Don't get me in trouble, Tomas. I got to uh, be the like. You're
2: fine. I'm going to be, you know, let's just kind of like be the whole. I to the one. Whole, I'm
1: going <laughs> to be Elroy Blues until
2: I die. I want to be Elroy Blues until I die. Yeah. Um. Murder, yeah, it was. It wasn't homicide. It was murder nurse. Anyway, boom.
1: <laughs> Did it. Please don't share that.
2: But, you know, the bill was crazy because actually let me use that as, as, a, as a reference. Really Drug-induced homicide. Drug-induced homicide. This is what was with the bill. We really got to dig into these bills because this is what happens. You will get passionate about it. We'll get up with pitchforks and we'll find out. And then when I got to the Capitol, I realized what he basically put together was
1: and that and, was yeah. representative lynch
2: yeah so what he this person basically represented was he wanted to make another law that stated that you would get a significant amount of time which was like 33 to 36 years it was a, it was another version of attempted murder basically homicide, homicide mm-hmm. a homicide uh charge but you would have to be basically standing over the smoke, with a smoking gun and admitting it. You gave somebody fentanyl. They took it. They died right in front of you. You admitted to the police that you sold it to them, and it was happening. A dope fiend's not doing that. No. So it was really a lot of white noise done for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On something that we're adding laws, and that's what concerns me about being in the Capitol for three years. We have enough laws. We know homicide is illegal and is a life sentence, but people still do it. Mm-hmm. We got to enforce it better. We got to look at our laws that we have. We got to shave them down, learn how to enforce them, and stop making things so complex. Well, and
1: here's the thing, Tomas, right? Like, uh, you were one of the people he, who came and testified against the homicide um, bill, uh, drug induced homicide bill, mm-hmm. but there were hundreds of people, not only you know, employee members of Copa, Mm -hmm. um, but from all over the state of those hundreds of people, a significant amount of those people who were in recovery had friends who died by overdose in front of their faces. Mm -hmm. All of those people would have been at risk. Now I Mm -hmm. will tell you this, the people who are coming from Copa are the experts who are providing the treatment and recovery services necessary for people to recover, and instead of doing that, they'd be sitting in prison. Yeah, that but, is absurd. But the
2: bill still yeah. stated that you had to admit that you were the dope dealer that gave it to them. Yeah. So, I mean, you could be in front of somebody, you could, but that you died. could
0: be coerced into that. Yeah, part you too. could be
2: coerced mm-hmm. into it, and yes, and you could be labeled, and that's where it got dangerous. That we had to stop it. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to talk about neighborhoods less fortunate, however you want to label, it, BIPOC, minority, uh, poor economically challenged, whatever, what have you, the fight that's sitting there. I know me, I wasn't even offered treatment. Mm -hmm. I was offered prison, Mm -hmm. and that's where I was going. I offered boot camp. You want to go to boot camp? Well, and you know
1: Terry Smith. Terry Smith went to treatment like six times. Yeah. Before they were finally like, "Nah, we're done with that. So if
2: I'm standing in front of my friend, (laughs) which I've stand in front of people that have overdosed. You know, I did a post about this, this, uh, It was a song that's that's done by one of my favorite, uh, Black Label Society, it's a a, a, a Zach Wilde song, and it's talking about drugs and overdose and this, this, and that, and I did a post about six months ago about a person that we found, we left, we got some more dope, we found dead in the other room. We called, and it was just, I kept on, we kept on playing that song, and I was sitting on the couch, and it was like watched all the dope fiends crawl out of, all the rest of my drugries and friends crawl out of there, get everything out, have the ambulance come in, grab the person, the person sit there, I'm sitting there numb, the cop's talking to me,,, wah, 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 stand up, let me look at you, sit me back down there, take the cuffs off as soon as the the smoke clears. All the party comes back. I got a p- pile of drugs right in front of me, and I'm sitting in the same place like 12 hours later just watching it. it I wish like I had like this camera experience. that could just, you know, those fast-forward cameras just going through the whole thing. And you see that of how that works. But like these things on these bills, right? Like that's why I have – I got to give a shout-out to Lacey Hay. She's been mm. my, yeah. my lobbyist forever. So she – has made sense of it for me so well, you know. I was almost on some bills that I was basically getting played for my for my 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 last name and my record. And by the time that I started reading stuff I'm like wait, wait 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 I don't agree with that, you know what I mean. And that's another form of coercion on on this thing. You know, that's what you got to watch in the Capitol because that's what I'm challenging everybody to listen to the message of what Bria's saying and look on the website and get involved with COPA because yeah because there's a lot of things that are so complex in these bills and these people are passionate about putting these bills out I'm not saying they're wrong just because I disagree I'm not saying a politician is wrong for their passion and what they're doing up there what they believe in they're working hard to do that we have to work hand in hand but also science yeah also <laughs>
1: everything. But also science Yeah <laughs> science And everything else uh.
2: And you know You know the first time I went up there I you know I, I had a Jumpsuit on, I look like Run DMC with a Santa Muerte Was it
1: purple? No, no, it was all Red. black.
2: It was all black. It was all black. I went up there <laughs> and Hassan was like, well, that's a look, dog. He goes, that's <laughs> a look, my brother. Let's go up in here. So I went up in there with Hassan, testified for, these, for this housing thing. We got $5 million after our testimony up in there. He goes, you never done something like that? I go, nah, man, that was cool. He goes, that was great. I said, should I change different? He goes, no, nah, no, nah. you you walk in just the same every time, you know what I mean. So yeah. I was, and I just there. got up there and I started watching, learning, listening. You know, you get you get really upset, you get things, but really, like leadership with with Bria having Lacey.
1: It's well, and I'm about to shout that, out all the other lobbyists on our team yeah, too. Do that
2: definitely because I wanted I want you to go ahead and do that. Kay. but these are the individuals that actually give us that that common denominator to like listen to Moss, chill out. Let me explain this a little bit more. I need you to go talk to these certain people in this building. Please can you get them to come, they're friends of yours, and can you get X-Y them to come team? to this yeah. this table so we can negotiate? Yeah. Then I started learning that negotiation practice and how the Capitol really works. How people are there to, for the greater good and we're starting to work. We are very lucky in the state of Colorado. Session is every year. There's some places are that don't do it yeah, but two years, three years. They're they're out there just a law sticks. Could you imagine a law sticking for three years without you being able to do anything about it? Two years? Two years is a, a lifetime with something that's going wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot of people could die yeah. if the wrong thing is. A lot of people can get incarcerated and locked up. So like I'm saying, I know you guys are waiting to see if Trump or somebody, other chump, or whatever the hell, is going to get up there and do what they're doing, but really We're not, we're not pay thinking attention. about that level. We're yeah. thinking
1: about this level. Yes.
2: Pay mm-hmm. attention to our city right now. Yeah. Pay attention to our counties yeah. right now. Our are rural areas, you got to look at those. Yeah. Everybody
1: forgets those. That's like
2: the middle child of America. And Everybody listen, just, forgets them.
1: Just like everything else, don't do stuff for rural people unless you're a rural person or unless you bring a rural person with you. Mm-hmm. As a person who comes from rural, I love how much y'all talk about rural people, but y'all got it wrong a mm. lot of the time. Yeah. So just call your rural friends and ask them to oh, help I you will. talk through that stuff. You have me. It's fine. <laughs> um, but – Yes, yeah. everything Tomas is saying.
2: From Fowler, Colorado, I'm not gonna work on a farm for nothing. <laughs> I don't care how hard he. Yes.
1: Works. yes to everything right. Tomas uh. is saying there's a space for everyone, but I do really quick want to highlight our lobbying team because they are
2: yes' so
1: yes, badass. and then I also have a few more things too that is that are legislative to talk about. but Lacey Hayes. Mm Badass girl. I know you're listening. Um, Lacey, you're awesome. Lisa Ward from Frontline Public Affairs. Uh, She is our main lobbyist. COPA's main lobbyist represents our entire membership and is also a provider at Denver Health. So we have someone with her own lived experience helping us run the show out at the Capitol. Amy Atwood from uh, with Sobriety House. Devin mm-hmm. Peavy with Sobriety House. Elizabeth Rosen, who mm-hmm. represents both Mental Health Colorado, who is a, um, a partner of ours, but also Signal Behavioral Health. Working with her on the team is amazing. Um, Jennifer Miles, who owns and runs Frontline uh, Public Affairs, and also has been instrumental, has been COPA's lobbyist for all almost the entire time they've had a lobbyist. Mm-hmm. Um, she has been instrumental in a lot of the things that you see that currently exist for treatment and recovery Absolutely. services across the state. Absolutely freaking amazing. Um, we are so lucky to have the team that we have. We also work in coalition with other organizations who are trying to find the intersection of behavioral health uh, physical health and incarceration mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and justice like reform um, so CCJRC which many of you have probably mm-hmm. heard of um, is, yeah. is one of our partners Christy Donner is t- awesome. uh, just such a great person um, and then the ACLU obviously mental health colorado is so awesome i feel like the list could go on and on and on but all of that to say we are not isolated we are not the only people who care about people with substance use disorder there is an entire spectrum of behavioral health and physical health providers who really care about what's happening um, and we work with them Um, and i'm stoked to work with them and i've learned so much Um, this idea of like being open to new ideas um, i mean Even just on the car ride over here, I was talking to an addiction doc from um, Schutz about Matt and M-O-U-D and how I understand it versus how he understands it. And actually how the legislation should read so that providers are cared for so that their clients and their patients can be taken care of. Right. So when we the thing that I love about COPA. As a whole and the legislation that we focus on and the policy priorities that we have, is that because so many of us have lived experience, not only with substance use disorder or family members with substance use disorders, but that also means that we have experience in the system in Colorado, and it sucks. Mm. and it's hard and it's hard to find help and it's hard to find people and it's hard to find the resources or the money or the medicaid or whatever it's hard it shouldn't be this hard like you all are awesome you just need a conduit to come together to present ourselves right and and have people on your side who aren't doing that direct service work who can share this information about you right so while this um this radio show is something i listen to frequently because i love to hear the stories it's the thing that keeps me motivated to continue working mm-hmm. um along with my own lived experience and wanting to make this system better um like to be here and to be able to share this resource with people who do not have experience with recovery or substance use disorder even if they don't have it in their family ever, I can send this to them and be like, hey, listen, it's like you telling me mm-hmm. about one of the people that you work with really learning to understand what substance use disorder is, right? Like mm-hmm. there was a time when the anonymous part of fellowship programs were the most important part. Mm-hmm. And to watch you all walk loudly and proudly, not only in your everyday lives, but on in those like marble halls, those granite of the Capitol building in Colorado with heads held high. Melissa Martin, the new ED of Tribe Recovery um, Homes, is just the cutest thing I've ever seen. And and she was like, am I wearing the right thing? Do I look good? And I'm like, yes, girl, you look perfect. Because the reason they love Tomas, the reason they love the Raquel's, the reason they love the Tanya Wheelers, the reason that they love you all is because you come as yourselves. In a way honestly that not many other industries do right like we see our harm reduction folks coming as themselves but most of us are there in suits i promise you i don't wear suits in my off time it's not a thing i love to wear they're actually quite uncomfortable right but we come in one way and you come as yourselves and i think that that is so beneficial and it's literally if i could talk about anything for a really long time it's prevention or like coming as yourselves and letting Mm. them see the real you, because it's really hard to be a jerk when someone is being vulnerable. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's really becoming a commonplace thing to see a bunch of folks in recovery. Even sometimes, listen, last year we had the very first ever, ever in the history of the Colorado general assembly testimony from inside a prison. Mm. Oh, Oh, heart (laughs) y'all like this is a big Uh. deal because your stories matter your Mm -hmm. lived experience matters Mm -hmm. there should not be laws about you without your input Mm -hmm. right and and while i am the face of copa as often as i can step to the back i do because it's not my story to tell Mm -hmm. right it's your Mm -hmm. story to tell you are the ones who made it through Mm -hmm. you are the ones that they're like, we need to fund all of these programs, but we don't actually know what they mean. Um, or we need to arrest all of these people, right? Like, it is you guys coming forward. It's, you know, that OG crew knocking down damn doors and saying, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to show up anyway. Well, you know, when
2: I come in there, it's basically I'm looking and I'm like, this is your job. This is my life. Yeah. Like, you get to go home and check out. I don't get to yes. go home and check out. Yeah. So what do you do? you can do all every piece of homework for your 40 50 60 hours a week hang it up and go do what you do for the weekend and do all that and come back. I don't get that chance. I got family members. I got friends that are hurting. I got I got best friends that are doing life sentences. You know what I mean? I don't have that kind of chance. I don't have that. So while people need to understand that they have lived experience, this is your chance. When you were a little kid And they took you preschool, elementary school, to the Capitol, and they gave you a tour. That was purposeful, to show you what you can do Mm -hmm. through your life as an adult Mm -hmm. to make a change. Like, it wasn't just a tour just to get out of the house.
1: If you're still scared about it, just give me a call. I'll take you. Uh I'm there all the time. Like, I'd love to give you a tour. (laughs) I'll give you the good tour. I'll tell you where all Uh, the Rose Quartz came from. Um, uh, so, So... um, yes, come anytime. I would love to have you. But there there are a couple things that are kind of important right now. Um, the Overdose Prevention Center bill, if you know about that, that's back. If that is a thing you support, please call your legislator and tell them that you support it. Um, we love that bill. You know, We really wish that they would pick it up. Um, the governor does not love it. He said he would veto it. But if you want your voice heard, go ahead and call your legislator. If you need to find them, let us know. We'll help you find your legislator. Um, it's important Second important thing, um, DOC has asked for a reduction in the uh, um, Department of Corrections. For those of you who might not know what that means, um, I know most of you might. Uh, DOC has asked for a reduction in beds. Um, not as many people went to prison as they thought. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> Yay. yeah you went and got
2: um, a lot of beds.
1: So uh, they asked for a reduction in beds. However, uh, one of the things that they... Um, would like to do is shut down the beacon out of skyline so if there is anyone who is listening who was um a participant in the beacon program at skyline facility um please call your legislators um i have guys in there um our very first incarcerated peer is in there as we speak he earned that position in that he earned his role as a behavioral health trainer in that um in, in that Canyon facility mm-hmm. yeah, In, in Canyon City So if you were a resident there And you loved that program And you're grateful for what it did for you um, Please call your legislator Please call whoever you know um, And let them know that you want to keep it open Because um, the, legis- the Joint Budget Committee Is also asking why that program Specifically, why that facility Specifically, because I know how many people Benefit let me from speak that to worth, there.
2: I, am a, I got saved by a prison program Prison programs Are needed Mm-hmm. You have no idea where your mind stayed and where you go when you are incarcerated. If you don't have any positivity in a mental health, any, any recovery movement in there, um, we, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to have these facilities that are set up inside prison, especially in state and federal prisons and counties. These places are needed to have programming. So I need you to look at that bill. I need you because I wouldn't be sitting here today.
1: It's so it's not a bill it's a request to it's the joint request, budget yeah, committee which yeah. is why what makes it so tenuous Correction um, because uh the joint budget committee can't actually make DOC do anything yeah. but if a legislator picks it up they can do something to block it and so just call your people. Okay. Call all your people. Mm.
2: Is there more information on the website for that?
1: Um, not on the website, but they can reach out to me. I'll get my contact information. That on.
2: would be great. That would be great. And to tell you, tell you, just Skyline, I've been there in one of the 18 facilities I've been to. It's nice. You know, it's trauma-informed. It's, it's a nice place. Mm-hmm. It's not something that in your mind, if you wrap a around nice, a...
1: quote-unquote prison.
2: Yeah, I mean, is it the best yard? Is <laughs> it the best food? You know, um, you know that's where it gave me my chance to you know that's where I seen parole to go to to Cheyenne Mountain that started my life, you know, skyline cap or skyline uh, that yard was 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 a was a, a major influence to me. I was lucky to even be on a camp coming back in with my points erased because I I killed my number once before and I was back, so that's how that worked out. And I was lucky enough to score for a camp. So with that, that is a camp that's just like Camp George West. That we, that we had that's closed.
1: You're speaking a language I don't speak, I'm yeah. sorry. These
2: are, these are minimum <laughs> security prisons that don't have fences, but in, in Skyline, Skyline's in the, in the Canyon City complex, but that is part of that ecosystem inside there that we need to keep going because you kind of want to just get yourself down to a lower yard, if that makes sense. You know, you're going to be on a high-numbered yard that's all the way up to, you know, Centennial. You got CSP1, CSP2. You want to figure out how to get your numbers down through the years to get to these camps. And also, at the same time, these camps are important for people that are doing life sentences. Understand what that means. If I am a man that I'm doing all day, sitting in a medium-high facility for the rest of my life, 23-hour lockdown, I'm gonna be a shell of myself. I'm not gonna even be that version with my family if they stick around to come see me. I need to be in something that's trauma informed. Have a chance to work myself People, down to at least that yard. If I'm never going to get out,
1: humans deserve to be in a place uh, that will help them heal from the life uh, that they have. Yeah. Like if you, if someone ends up in prison, they deserve the right to heal from whatever helped them get there yeah
2: but there's one thing about that there's some crimes you gotta lock a person up sure there's a line there
1: yeah you know what i'm I not mean? saying yeah. i'm not saying don't incarcerate right like i'm not <laughs> i have my own feelings about that but we're not gonna get into that yeah level none of my of charges uh, were wobbly charges. in here like,
2: i, d- I belong in prison y'all
1: i don't know i don't know the perf- i don't know the perfect answer for i don't know the perfect uh. answer for incarceration but i do know that Um, a person who is incarcerated is still a person. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is the key, right? And when we talk about, um, you know, justice reform or, you know, substance use services inside jails and prisons, like it is with the understanding, at least for me and the people who join COPA, is that these are real human beings. Did Mm -hmm. they do bad stuff? And actually this is something I say frequently, is like, yeah, maybe you made a bad choice but that bad choice is not who you are. Um, everyone has a right to heal um, if that's what they choose. Now, there are people who don't choose to heal, and I know that that's true. I am not naive. I worked in jails, I yeah. got it. Uh, like, yeah, I know that some people choose not to do that, and th- and that's fine, and that's between them and their um, maker of choice, right? And yeah. But if a person wants it, and we're spending the money, and we have the audacity to call prisons rehabilitation centers, right. then we better put our mm-hmm. damn money where our mouth is. Right. right. Um, yeah. And so yes, beacon. Um, and, you know, really quickly just to get into the actual reason why I came here. Um, two things are happening around um, credentialing. Uh, one, we know for sure uh, there is a bill out by um, representative bacon and Senator Coleman um, house bill twenty four ten oh four. 10 Oh four. Look at that. I remembered. Wow. Um, and it addresses DORA regulations for uh, licensed professionals. So if you have a CAT, CAS, LAC, um, all of these letters are for clinicians. If you are not a clinician, I'm not really going to get into it, but it's basically people who can tr- treat substance use disorders who have higher education degrees and are licensed by DORA. Um, there has been uh, some conversations around – people who have been incarcerated having a very hard time getting their licenses through Dora. Um, and so this bill-
2: Extremely hard. You have to have five yep. years off off paper, so, sober, go in front of a council, yep. do dog and pony show, and yep. you're on a probationary track. After that, um, Dora's lost their mind. We <laughs> don't have enough workers to serve the community. And they're doing More strenuous stuff. Now, I understand things have happened,
1: Mm. but there's
2: got to be another solution besides.
1: I actually don't even think anything happened. I think this is just how the statute was written. And it turns out it's affecting um, black, brown, indigenous and recovery communities harder than others. Imagine that. So this bill, very awesome, um, will reduce the criminal record to three years on papers Uh, So three years off paper, which is great. That's plenty. Um, SAMHSA says that it takes 18 months to fully recover from a substance use disorder. So if you've been in prison for 15 years and you've been working a program and you get out, then three years is plenty for you to get back on your feet and get your license. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And also, this dog and pony show that you were talking about, Tomas, that you are forced to do to get licensed will actually change. So if you have not been convicted of a violent crime and you're off papers for three years, a regulator has to prove why you shouldn't have a license. Like you don't have to go in there and prove why you should have a license. You are given your license based on the requirements, regardless of that incarceration record, that criminal record, unless the regulator can prove with evidence that the criminal offense that you had will somehow negatively affect your license is
2: that opinionated or what is the evidence base? Because I just got evidence. done doing time, I put my life together, I put three years together, yep. I want to help people. I go in front of somebody, then I got some person telling me that they got evidence against why I shouldn't go help people, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 who is the regular? I don't agree with that. Who is there the regulator to- that's going to be doing that because that's hey, disrespectful, listen, right? There, Dora
1: regulators are statutorily defined, okay, we're not changing that. Right? They, they are just like everyone else. But don't you think it's a they little disrespectful? No, because here's the thing like, if this is the example we were talking about this earlier, right? We this about. is what we were talking this about. This is exactly what we were talking so about. So, right? I am going to get licensed for an accounting something. I don't know. Do accountants have licenses? I don't know how that works, right? So, say I'm, I'm an accountant and um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go get my license and I had a financial charge that I went to prison for. Um, and I am trying to get my license in, as an accountant, right? Like fraud, like financial fraud is not a violent crime, right? Mm-hmm. So if I come in and I'm like, I want to get licensed as an as a, d- accountant, and also I embezzled $50 million from this organization. So
2: that's the evidence.
1: That's the evidence, okay,
2: right? Okay, but that's I That's real.
1: Uh, that's not mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't like Tomas's gold jewelry. That's. Huh. Tomas beat up a cop yesterday and is still waiting to go to trial.
2: What would interest me is what are those closing factors of that list? There's got to be some kind of list because, you know, like for me, what would be that determinant? You know, high speed chases, guns, whatever. And mine was just barely under the the shade of not being a violent crime because of just the basic how the arrest went down. Where else could have been labeled easily as a violent crime and pled down. So I don't have a violent crime. I'm sitting there with high speed chase, chases, concealed weapons, evading and eluding—all these things that I had—and mm-hmm. somebody tells me, for some X, Y, and Z reason, mm-hmm. I can't even see why there is so much stuff that happens when you're 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 addicted to, to substance abuse. So 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 let me you know, so like how would you even compose that type of list? So mm-hmm. let me
1: so let me explain something um, that I know you understand, but a lot of people who don't work uh, in this industry. Um, and by this industry, I mean the the um, legislature don't understand. So there is a difference between legi- like statute and policy and bills and rules, mm-hmm. right? So we all know, well, those of us in the industry know what the Behavioral Health Administration is. Yeah. So B-H. two years ago, uh, we wrote a bill that created the Behavioral Health Administration. The thing was like 300 pages long we had like four days to read it. It was terrible, right? Um, and why it was 400 pages long is because we had to have in statute which departments needed to go where and who, like how it was funded and who was in charge. What we did not do in statute and bills was make all of the rules that the BHA has to follow because some things need to be bills and some things need to be rules. Rules are um, managed by the state Bills are managed by the legislature, Mm. right? I don't know about y'all, but I don't want a bunch of politicians telling me how my mental health program should run,
0: Okay, right?
1: Mm. Like some of them are great. Some of them have been mental uh, behavioral health workers. Some of them have not, right? Mm -hmm. So we get together as experts and say, here's what these rules should be. And -hmm. that's where the rules come in. And so what you're talking about, Tomas, is Mm. not legislature. What Mm. you are talking about is the rules, right? So here's a bill that says, Regulators have to do this. Like, regulators are forcing people to come prove their worth instead yeah. of finding proof that they shouldn't have a license. So, we yeah. need to first establish that and then once that passes then we can establish what those rules look like we take it out of the legislature's hands we put it into the state experts hands mm-hmm. so this these stories that you have that's mm-hmm. where you bring those so you can say look the rules need to look like this because this is this this mm-hmm. is this is the reality okay Right, those happen in the rules. So this is right. How would you know that if you weren't working? I didn't know that when I got here two and a half years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What is this craziness?"
2: Yeah, and and everybody is listening. I'm purposely I'm purposely challenging mm-hmm. so we can get it explained because mm-hmm. I know that you have it's these type good. of questions. Uh-huh. So I'm throwing these out because I do know how the process works, but also it needs to be reexplained because I'm sure out there you're like, "Wait a minute, wait help, a minute, help!" What yeah, do I like do? like. And it deters people from wanting to be to to be in the in the, indis- in the industry. You know, some people are are just afraid of school in general. And if you got a certification that you're going to get put put under a, a microscope again, mm-hmm. they're yeah. just not going to do that. And we yeah. got a lot of great people And recovery and peers. Well, being Indora, let's get in that. Yeah, okay. we haven't
1: gotten to that yet. Okay, that hasn't happened yet. We haven't had that conversation yet. Okay, you ready? Yeah, you ready let's go. for me to go there? Okay, so this is full disclosure. Like, upfront, this bill has not been introduced yet. Um, I have only heard rumors. I don't actually know what's in the bill. I know the representative um, that wants to introduce it. Um, I know some of the people who might be interested in something like this. Um, but this is not a thing yet. So please don't panic. Um it is something that I'm thinking about and I'm here trying to get ahead of the situation. So many of you who are listening, many of you here um, understand what a peer is um, Mm -hmm. and how instrumental peers are in the recovery world. Um, What you may or may not know is that peers are valuable everywhere. Um, They're valuable in healthcare settings in school settings um, in prisons Um, for mental health, for substance use, for other family members who have gone through stuff. Like, I can't tell you how many wives I've sat with whose husbands have a substance use disorder, right? Peers are valuable. Um, And when I got here, that was, I got my board together, got my executive committee together, and I was like, tell me your top three priorities for COPA. And one of the three was peers, development and professionalization of peers, right? And so what Tomas said earlier about me being an unbiased person who loves people in recovery and loves the recovery movement, I can look at the peer industry um, from kind of this 30,000 foot view and uh, communicate and also translate from peers to legislators, to, police officers to state departments to whatever i can take this vision that you all have created right this is the tanya wheelers of the world Mm -hmm. created this path um, and i can help carry that message in a different way right as a person who's not in recovery um, as a person who can look at it without like my livelihood being challenged Um, and so the peer certification, the uh, Certified Peer and Family Specialist credential, um, is actually implemented by COPA. Um, now, a lot of people think, and I'm going to make things really clear before I say what might be coming, um, because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the CPFS, CPFS is, right? So CPFS, Certified Peer and Family Specialist, um, are peers who have um, a substance use or mental health disorder, A family member with a substance use or a family member with a substance use or mental health disorder, right? So the lived experience is substance use, mental health, or family, right? Our peers, our credentialed peers have lived experience, right? They have to self-attest to that. They have to be willing to share it. They have to let us share their information if someone calls um, to a point, to a point, Um, because they're also protected, right? People with substance use disorders and mental health disorders are a protected class under disability law, right? Like CFR 42 Part 2 says that we can't share your substance use history. We can't share that information. So that's a protected class. Um, But I think what's really important is that while COPA administers that certification, what that actually means is that we sit on the board of IC and RC, which is um, some letters that basically mean a bunch of peers and prevention specialists who work together to create the system and create standards from across the country, Um, and internationally, right? So internationally, for the CPFS specifically, um, peers across the world get together to create standards, best practices for peers and have a credential that says they have been trained, supervised, have work experience, and have lived experience, and agree to follow a code of ethics. Um, And so those are the components of being a certified peer, a credentialed peer in the state of Colorado. Another thing that people get kind of confused about is that COPA does not vote for who gets to be certified. You are prohibited from sitting on the CPFS committee if you are on the board of COPA. So the CPFS committee is made up of peers, mental health, substance use, and family peers who are certified and who understand the industry and are willing to provide credentialing support, to provide oversight during ethical violations, right? Like lots of people will say, there's no oversight of peers. That's nonsense. There are people who say that um, there's no code of ethics. Nonsense. Nonsense. Um, there are people who say um, that no one is evaluating grievances. It's it's nonsense. Those things exist. Um, it just, there hasn't been a person, like, facing this head on, right? There hasn't been a person out there promoting it the way that we have been able to do. Can I, I, w-
2: can I do a quick summary on, on some of the stuff you're going to say? Well, let me
1: say, let me say yeah, let me say one thing specifically. Um, the CPFS has been around for 12 years. And for the last 12 years, COPA members have paid for you all to have your certification. Uh, there, was, there were some years where people said it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. The membership dues that Tomas was p- talking about earlier, that used to pay for peers in the state to be certified. This mm-hmm. is the one of the first years, maybe five years, where the Behavioral Health Administration, Office of Behavioral Health, have started putting money towards that. The MSO Signal, shout yeah. out to Sh- Signal and Rocky, yeah. for scholarships, yeah. for yeah i was the very first peer
2: that talked vocational rehab into paying for my stuff because i couldn't afford it yeah you know tanya gave me my first scholarship to get all my stuff through through uh car you get all my stuff through colorado mental wellness network R- rod rushing's programs all that stuff let me some
1: rod shout out to rod. i had
2: to uh i didn't have the money for it so i had to go to to uh vocational rehab they had no idea what it was and when i got all the documentation from the different organizations and proved it I was able to pay that, that amount so I could become a recovery coach. Now, this is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. People, our listeners, sorry if I offended anybody on any I of like the pronouns. I like gender
1: inclusion there. Very good. Yeah, Very I'm good. trying to be. Super excited. Yeah,
2: just see me at the cigar place later. I'm going to mess it all up. But anyway. It's well, <laughs> a hard pass. I quit smoking. Anyway, <laughs> I know you are never ever be in there. I'm just saying that I'm not, I'm not this well controlled. But the thing this is about is this. We know how to regulate ourselves. We're not children. We have worked very hard for years to put ourselves in a we position. We don't
1: call it regulate. We call it oversight.
2: Oversight. Whatever we <laughs> call it is oversight. <laughs> We're not a government agency. <laughs> well, it's trying to get there. People in the industry are trying to push it to regulation versus our own oversight. This was created just like the recovery home, just like anything else.
1: I'm so glad you dropped this information and not me. I was feeling weird about it.
2: You know, this this is something that we are grown adults, educated adults, that we have worked tirelessly and hard for, for some people to come around and throw it into Dora after we've done all the work. We've done all the work to get here. And then you're going to take it and regulate it, and tell us how it works when you were there, not even from the beginning to the finish to the end, and then make it into something that is not. It's like me taking somebody else's child and telling them what's the matter with them.
1: Okay, so let you know me, what I mean. So, me, in my
2: opinion, there. But you let know.
1: let me let me kind of wrap that up into a neat little package. So there are people, there are peers, and clinicians in this world who think that um, a certified. Uh, Peer and family specialists should be regulated by DORA. Now, after hearing what I just said about all of the struggles that we had at DORA, um, it sounds like a terrible idea. Terrible It's a terrible idea just from that alone. But there are a couple of other things that make it actually a really not awesome, awesome idea. Um, First of all, in 2020, uh, a group of people took this idea to DORA and asked them to do a sunrise. So if you don't know what a sunrise is, it means a data collection like analysis evaluation of what Dora would want to do if they certified peers. And basically they came back with a hell no, like everything you're asking us to do is actually the responsibility of the organization who's employing peers. Now um, there are all kinds of stories flying around about the grievances that could possibly happen, right. um, For peers, because it is true. Like those of you who are peers who are listening, you do really valuable work, um, and there is the potential for great harm uh, if yeah. you if you abuse that power that you have absolutely. because as a peer you absolutely have power. Um, and in the two and a half years that I've been here doing this, yeah, there have been numbers approximate for m- for the big ones. Ten—that's the biggest number you're going to hear today. Um, ten grievances have come in. Um, three had some kind of determination, like moved from my hands to the committee's hands, um, where there was actual factual evidence that you weren't just mad at your friend and throwing him under the bus. Um, Three, with actual evidence that I could pass on to the committee. Of those three, one was a self-attestation to a DUI. Because the woman works a recovery program, she wanted to be really open and honest about the fact that she had just gotten a DUI and she wanted her organization and the peer committee to know so that they could help her with her recovery plan. And that is exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. Another, the first one that ever got sent to the committee, which was probably two years ago now, um, was a relapse. Mm -hmm. And the person reached out to us and said, I had a relapse. I just want you to know. They... The committee worked with the person to create a relapse plan, right? Because restorative justice is something that we believe in because y'all are peers. Mm -hmm. It is your lived experience and your recovery. That is the most important part of the peer certification, right? So, and then the last one, which happened actually like two or three days before Christmas, was the very first time in the history of the CPFS that a full revocation happened Because of a code of ethics violation, we have removed that person's credential um, and because it happened um, and because there are people who are looking at DORA regulation, uh, we are actually working with the Oregon State Board for peers to create a front facing public registry that can um, tell an employer if a person has a good standing certification credential or not, or if there has been a grievance that a determination has been made. So the determinations that can be made are nothing happens. There's no actual code of ethics violation, which is more often than not the thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people who get mad at each other and turn each other in for utter nonsense yeah. sometimes. And me, utter nonsense. Let me
2: break down another myth. People think that if Dora regulates, it's going to take care of a fraud Medicaid problem. It's Let me not. break it down as a, as a CEO, as an owner that's in the industry. Yes, that licensure, just like what she explained, that peer or that organization, those people that are under that credentialing could be stripped of their license. Yes, that can happen. That is a Dora And thing. also, that's, we can yeah. take their credential. Yeah, yeah. And you could take their credential if Dora, I'm just yeah, hypothetically saying Dora has it. Dora yeah. has this licensure. They can take it. But that does not do anything to the owner and the organization. The, that's, that's Medicaid. Medicaid and the federal government have their own line of attack to take care of that situation. It has nothing to do with the DORA office. And a lot of people think that those two crossbreed and, and something is going to happen to where if DORA comes in, they're going to be the knight in shining armor that stops Medicaid fraud. That's not how Medicaid fraud is taken out through DORA because they have no no business. They they don't work in that in in those spaces. And
1: honestly, here's the deal: Um, peers are valuable. Peers are important. Sixty hours of training, five hundred hours of work experience, and twenty five hours of supervision is not a license. It's not a license. There are peers in this state that make fourteen dollars an hour. Those poor people do not have to go, should not have to go through being licensed. It's not going to make people pay them more. It's not going to make organizations think they're better. I I do feel like, and this is my Bria hat. This is not my Copa hat, right? This is me watching peers fight for their place at the table. Having a license from Dora is not going to make people see you as a person who doesn't have a substance use disorder. Like, I know that that's real, and I'm looking at the camera, I'm looking at y'all. Like, I sat and watched the legislators call y'all a bunch of junkies last year. Um, I fought against it. I will continue to fight against it. But having a license from DORA is not going to make you better in their eyes. They do not care. They do not care. Those legislators who are out to get you, they are out to get you. And it does not matter if you are a doctor. Licensure is not going to make them Treat us more kindly mm-hmm. yeah. Shout out
2: to JK Love you man
1: <laughs> um, And also Yeah hey JK Hey um, Through the
2: doctor In recovery We had to throw him out there And, and,
1: and here's the thing Like If we want to talk About licensure yeah. That's We can talk about that But Dora has said no
2: Well what we have here Is we've done two shows In one yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of editing So this is Sorry. what we need to do No what we need to do Is is we need I think two part What we need to do Is, is we need to take whatever magic we could do on this show, um, which there's not a lot, um, and then talk about this subject as it goes on and bring you back to the show. I
1: would love to, because let's hope that um, I have made enough of a stink, because I have. Yeah. Um, I I look really nice.
2: And I want you to go ahead and share it on our YouTube that we'll have, (laughs) so you can share that. But we want to keep you going in on this show so you can actually get it on the air. Great on parts. We'll do it what we can. We'll talk about it afterwards. Um, but appreciate all yeah we did y'all. we did keep on going. This is dude, this is a really short conversation that we have. Go ahead.
1: I was supposed <laughs> to have di- I was supposed to have dinner with one of my staff. What
2: uh high,
0: our guest has been Here. the executive director of Copa. You can find Copa at coprovidersassociation.org org. Our guest has been Bria Kinsella. Thank you uh, for having me. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. This program, if you're listening on Flow 107.1 or on Jammin' 1015, has been edited for time. You can listen to it in its entirety. You're you're missing like 30 minutes. You can listen to it in its entirety um, by going to our website. That's either flowdenver.com or jammin' 1015.com. You can also go to facebook.com slash SOS, sharing our stories. And we will bring Bria in to continue this conversation. If y'all want to talk talk about
1: policy, I'm your girl.
0: And talk more about it. So uh, once again, if you're listening on the radio, you haven't heard this whole program today. You've heard uh, a truncated, I believe is what it's called, version. It's been cut up. So um, please do go to our websites and check out the whole program. Uh, This is sharing our stories. And we talk about addiction and recovery and spread the message that recovery does happen. All right. We'll see you again right here on Jammin' 115 and Flow 1071 and, of course, online for sharing our stories.